Welcome to the Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Follow along with the message by downloading our app, available for both Apple and Android phones. And now, for our message. We're going to continue in this series of messages that we've started a few weeks ago called Lord of All. This is the third week. And uh, um, I'm, I, I'm excited. This particular message is probably uh, the heaviest, if I could say it that way, the heaviest, the most serious, they're all serious, the most sobering, let's call it that, of all the messages in this series. So would you turn to the person next to you and say, man, this is going to be so much fun. This is going to be a blast. The word of the Lord is encouraging and inspiring and uplifting and all of those things, but it is also uh, corrective and unsettling and sobering at times. And this morning, the text we're going to be in is a little bit heavy, so we'll be okay, though. Have you, have, you been, um, have you been thinking more? I hope you have been thinking more about lordship over these last couple of weeks. Just I, I, I realize that when I'm studying something, when I'm praying on something, when I'm thinking about something, I start seeing, even in the Word, I start seeing more often and more frequently that thing that I am focused on popping out. As a matter of fact, if I start reading the Scriptures, I'm guessing you too, you start seeing lordship everywhere. Oh, that's a lordship thing. Oh, that's a, that's a power of deciding thing. Oh, I see that person. They're not submitted to the lordship of Jesus. <laughs> you just see this kind of... This kind of um, uh, it's like everywhere all of a sudden, and it is in the scriptures all over the place, this idea of lordship. So if, if you're seeing that, that is a good thing, because we're going to spend the rest, as, it's really perfect what Scott said, we're going to spend the rest of our lives until we G- see Jesus face to face. Because in that moment, when we see him face to face, we will be perfected. It will be push in a moment. We will, be, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. That's what scripture says. But until then... This lordship thing, this, this one who is the master and owner and the one with the power of deciding over our lives, this issue will be something that we will go back to again and again and again and again. And just when we get to the place where we're like, yep, he's lord of all, he'll go, I'm so glad you think that. Hey, can we look over here at this particular little thing? And you'll be like, oh, yes, Lord, we'll deal with that too. And that will happen for the rest of our lives. Because we can make the decision to make him Lord of all, and then the, the, the living out of that, the practical application of that will take for the rest of the time that we're here on earth. If we live to be 120, we'll still be working on the Lordship of Christ in our lives. So we are all works in progress. Amen? All right. So this section of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning um, is at the end of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount is... Is probably uh, the most often quoted, most well-known passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. It, it, it's actually it's so well known in in like the Western world that even things that are a part of our day-to-day culture that are outside of the church will, you know, will use references from uh, from the passages that are in Matthew five, six, and seven, the Sermon on the Mount. People talk about the golden rule. You know, the golden rule is in the Sermon on the Mount. People that have no idea what you know where the golden rule comes from will reference it. You know, this idea, do to others as you would have them do to you. It comes right there from that passage of scripture. The Sermon on the Mount is a is a comprehensive fairly detailed look at the kingdom of God. So I am a, uh, I'm an, I'm a, I was going to say I'm a proud American. I probably shouldn't say that. That doesn't sound right. I, I, am, I am pleased to be a citizen of this country. I'm very happy to be an American. 
I am, I am patriotic. I have two sons right now serving in the army. I'm very happy to be a part of this, this nation with all of her faults and flaws. I am very pleased to be an American. However, that is not my highest or deepest loyalty. I'm actually a part of another kingdom. That I'm an American, but that's very temporary. I'm a part of the kingdom of heaven, and that, that allegiance, that citizenship, as Scripture talks about, will last for all of eternity. Which is why when you, you can meet someone that is from a different culture or a different country, even speaks a different language, you can run into them, talk to them, begin to interact with them and be like, man, I feel like I know this person, even though you've never seen them before in your life because you're part of the same kingdom, even if you're part of different countries. Ever had that experience? Some of you have had that experience broadly. A, a gentleman has just started attending Grace. He's from Nigeria. His name is, is Lincoln. He's a neat guy. He was here in first service. And I met Lincoln, and about 10 seconds into our conversation, I was like, oh, this guy's, I want to hang out with this guy. This guy's my brother. It's not because we have all this in common. For one, he's tall and thin, so I got nothing with him there. He's from Nigeria, has the coolest Nigerian accent when he talks in English. He's just awesome. But, but he loves Jesus, and we're a part of the same kingdom. When you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you're getting a picture, a snapshot of the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus begins to teach in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew's recording what Jesus says. He teaches on all kinds of things, all different elements and aspects of life here on the planet and how they are in the reality of the kingdom of God played out. I mean, he talks about everything from, you know, the way that we should deal with our anger to um, our anxiety, lust, ang uh, divorce, instruction on prayer, how to treat your enemies, how to deal with the poor. There is just over and over. It just moves from one topic to another all the way through the three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount. And when you get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it gets, I think, it gets kind of serious. I want you to, to look with me, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in 21, 22, and 23 this morning. But before that, the section before the, the place that we're going to be, Jesus begins to talk about false prophets. And he begins to talk about how they will want to come, and he mentions them being... being um, um, wolves in sheep's clothing. This idea, that's another thing that we hear in our culture. People know that concept even if they don't know where it comes from. And then he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. And then he, Jesus goes on to say, basically, I'm gonna summarize Jesus' word. He says, there's two kinds of people in this world. There are good trees and there are bad trees. Or in the ESV, there are healthy trees and there are diseased trees. And those trees produce fruit. And a good tree produces Good, you guys read your Bibles. That's awesome. And then the, the bad tree produces? Very good, right. And then he goes on, and this is the little like, sobering part. Verse 19, he says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Whew, that's pretty final. And then he gets to the portion of Scripture that we're going to look at, which arguably is the most unsettling, sobering passage of Scripture in all of the New Testament. Look with me. Verse 21 says this, Jesus speaking. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But you turn to the person next to you and go, whew, 
Heavy stuff. Heavy stuff. Jesus says that, that there will be a time when people will come to him and say, Lord, Lord. They will use that word, Lord, that we've been talking about, the word that means the one with the power of deciding. They will come and they will say, Lord, Lord. And yet they will not be guaranteed entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Rather, it will be those that do the will of God, according to Jesus in verse 21. He says that there will be a day. He actually says on that day. And what what day is he talking about? He's talking about the day of the final judgment. And if you've been in church for a while or you've read your Bible, uh, especially the book of Revelation, you know he's talking about what's known as the great white throne judgment. That day is the final judgment. And on the final judgment, according to Revelation chapter 20, at the end of time, at the final judgment, what will happen is this. That there will be all of these books, it says in Revelation chapter 20, that all of these books will be brought. Now, I can't even imagine the size of the library. But this library will be revealed in some way. All of these books will be brought out. And in these books will be the works of all who have lived from all eternity Everybody who has ever walked the face of the earth who has done anything will have all of their deeds revealed. Everything that they've ever done. And it will be on that day that they are judged according to their works. And it also says in Revelation 20 that another book, singular, called the book of life. If you grew up singing hymns like me, it's the Lamb's book of life. And in the Lamb's book of life are all of those who have trusted Christ. So it says the books are opened and another book is opened. And anybody whose name is not found in the Lamb's book of life will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's the day that they're talking about in verse 22. That's the day that Jesus is talking about. Then on that day, many will point to their good works inside of the books and say, look at all the things that we did, Lord. Look how we did them in your name, these spiritual works. And Jesus will say to them on that day, those that are saying, based on my works, on that day, Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Do you see what I mean about confusing and unsettling? It's heavy duty. This is serious stuff. These, these guys and, and gals are, are doing good things, we think. And yet they're told, I don't know you. I want to draw some conclusions from this text. And then we're going to take communion together this morning as we close. And that's really where I want to point everything, towards that, twi- that point of prayer at the end of the service. So let me, let me gather some thoughts for you. If you want to take the notes, I'll be, I think there are four points this morning. The first one is this. This idea that these people come and they say, Lord, Lord. Jesus says, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. That word Lord is, again, kurios, that Greek word that we've been looking at, the power of deciding. The people that say Lord are not the same group of people that, that know Jesus as Lord. That, that having him be Lord is more than just saying the words. It is surrendering all of our lives to him. Write this down, if you would, if you're taking the notes this morning. Christ's lordship is affirmed by the condition of the heart. It's not merely a title. Of course, we see that all the time. People misuse, and I don't even mean necessarily cursing, but people misuse the name of the Lord all the time. It's not the same thing to say Lord as it is to know him as Lord. Two very different things. And Jesus connects this idea of lordship, he connects it with with doing the will of God. He says that's how you get into heaven. You enter heaven by doing the will of God, not by saying 
my name, not by using the appropriate and correct title. Heaven is reserved for those who know Jesus as Lord, not who say, Lord, Lord, the ones that do the will of God. Lordship, write this down if you would, lordship is demonstrated through obedience to God's will. We're going to talk about that at the end. What is the will of God? When we give an account at the end, all of our efforts, all of our works, all of our behaviors, however good they may be, will not dictate whether we get to go into heaven or not. This is good news. When we talk about the gospel, this is the good news. Think about the book, your book. Turn to the person next to you and say, let's talk about your book. Maybe everybody has their own volume, you know? There's a couple chapters of mine that I'm pretty proud of, you know, like, hey, Amber, check this out. This is how good I am. But man, there's a whole bunch and an appendix that I don't want anybody else to see. There's all of this stuff. The good news is, is that I'm not judged for eternity based on what's in the books. I am judged on eternity based on whether my name is in the other book. That is a really, really, really good thing. And that's connected to the will of God. Being submitted to Jesus as Lord positions me to hear and to respond to God's word and to do his will. Now, that verse 22, these people that are, you know, their, their book's out, think of it that way, that their volume is out there and they stand before the Lord, just like, like Scott was having us imagine this morning. They're standing before the Lord and they're saying, Lord, but I did this, Lord, but I did this, Lord, but I did this, in your name. All of those, uh, the, the examples that are listed in, in verse 22 are all positive things. I mean, it's not negative to do mighty works in the name of Jesus. It's not negative to cast out demons in the name of Jesus or to prophesy in the name of Jesus. And yet, I think we can safely say this, that some things that are done in the name of Jesus are not necessarily done at the Father's direction. And we know that, don't we? But we see in our world around us, people do awful things. They do abusive things. They do, they do wicked things in the name of Jesus, kind of slapping it like a label. You know, the, the crusades of the early church were done in the name of Jesus. Was that the will of God? To share the good news at the point of a sword? That was never the will of God. Just saying in Jesus' name, just doing something that appears to be good fruit does not necessarily make it good fruit. Some things done in Jesus' name are not done at the Father's direction. Sometimes fruit is not what it appears. Have you ever been to the farmer's market? Raise your hand if you've ever been to the farmer's market. Good. Way to support local. You ever had an apple from the farmer's market that didn't look so great? It's just like sometimes it's the apple just kind of, eh, it doesn't look great, but you clean it off and you bite into it and you go, oh. It's like a spiritual experience to eat a really good apple. You know, you're just, oh, this is an amazing apple. But it didn't look good on the outside. Has anyone had that experience except me? No. Okay. You have had this one. How many of you have been to the grocery store and you found what you thought was the perfect apple? It looked like somebody went with spray paint and made it perfectly red and it is shiny. It looks like... It looks fake, it's so good looking. Have you ever bitten one of those apples and went, this thing has no taste at all? Oh, so that, you've been to that one, all right, okay, all right. Good trees bear good fruit even if it doesn't look real good or even if it takes time to develop. Bad trees cannot bear good fruit even if the fruit looks good. So doing these things in the name of Jesus, if it wasn't God's will, it wasn't done in his direction, does not make it good fruit. 
And these folks that say this are not only excluded, they are forced away. I never knew you. We don't have a relationship. Depart from me. And then he calls them workers of lawlessness. What's lawless? I mean, the word lawless there means iniquity. It means wickedness. It means contempt for the law. But I would say this. Lawlessness is anything that is done outside of the will of God. Anything outside of God's will falls into lawlessness, even if it appears to be lawful. Think about the Pharisees. They did lawful things all the time. And they were workers of lawlessness. They were workers of wickedness because they were not doing them at the direction of God and under the leading of the Holy Spirit. Even good works that appear, I'm sorry, even works that appear good are not so if they do not align with God's will and God's word. You got to look closely at the fruit. We have to look closely at the fruit. Now, I know if you're an introspective person, you're thinking this through at a next level, you might be thinking, How is he going to explain, you may be thinking this, how is he going to explain how casting out demons and doing mighty works in the name of Jesus were not good things? I have revelation for you to to share right now, personal revelation. Here it is, ready? I don't fully know. I don't know that I can explain that well, and I'm not going to pretend that I can. But there's something about, there's something about the reliance upon their efforts, the reliance upon their works out of the books that superseded and seems to obfuscate entirely their need to be in the other book. And Jesus said, I never knew you. It doesn't matter how good it looks. If Jesus says it's not pleasing to him, it's not pleasing to him. That's a little bit of a heavy thing. But the positive is this, when we are entirely surrendered fully surrendered to the lordship of Jesus, when we are saying, Jesus, you're the Lord of all, and I want you to show me how to make you the Lord of all, when we are in that place, we will never be false prophets. We will never be trees that bear bad fruit. We will be healthy trees. We will bear good fruit because when Jesus has the power of deciding, we are safe. You never have to worry about, am I gonna be one of those people that Jesus says, I never knew you? Not when you say, Jesus, you're the Lord of all. I surrender. It's what keeps us safe. It's what keeps us in the palm of his hand. I'm going to invite Dane and Heather, if they would come forward. They're going to serve us communion this morning. If they can get themselves ready. And Sarah, if you'd come. These kinds of passages are a gift to us. Not because we understand every detail about them. I'm the first to say I don't understand every detail about this particular one. I find it unsettling. And it's probably because I want to lean on my works as proof that I am right with God. And maybe that's the message of this. You don't lean on your works. Lean into Jesus. Don't lean on what you've accomplished. Don't point to your books, the fruit of the books. Point rather to the other book that says, I am the son or the daughter of the Most High God. That is the place that we need to derive our sense of identity from. But these kinds of texts are good for us because they press us into a place where we think anew about God and we think anew in our spirits. We can feel checked. Have you ever... Have you ever been checked by the Lord? I don't like that expression very well, but ever been convicted by the Lord? No one has said this to me recently, but I have asked people before if, you know, well, what's the Holy Spirit doing in your life? What are you feeling checked right now? What are you, what's he working on? I've had people say, well, I'm, I don't know, I'm good. And I always think the same thing. You are not good. 
Because the check, the, the conviction, that work of the Spirit in us, drawing us back to the Lord in a hundred different ways, that's the proof that we're on the, the potter's wheel and he's still shaping our lives. When, when we stop feeling the check of the Holy Spirit, when we stop saying, Lord, I don't want to be this group in, in verse 22, do a work in me freshly. When we stop doing that, that's the danger. Not when we realize, my goodness, I'm sinning, I'm messing this up. As backward as that sounds, when we are aware of his conviction and aware of his need drawing us to him for him to work on us, we're in the best place that we can possibly be. It is when we stop listening to the voice of the Spirit and no longer heal that conviction or check that we are in danger. There's a passage of scripture I'm going to have put on the screen before we take communion. It's um, from John chapter 6. Remember, Jesus says, not everybody says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. We didn't look at this passage last week. When we were in John 6, we looked at a part in the middle, or beginning, middle, and end, but we skipped over this. And I, I would like you, I know it's a lot, but could we read this out loud together? We'll read it slowly. But this is Jesus speaking to those that are confronting him in John chapter 6. Would you read it with me? Go. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. By the way, if you were, this is worth highlighting or underlining. Powerful passage of scripture. Two things I want you to see. Number one is this. Jesus is the Lord of all. We want to give him the power of deciding over every detail of our lives. And yet, what does Jesus say at the beginning of this text? I came down from heaven not to do what I wanted to do, but what the Father wanted me to do. Even Jesus models submission to lordship, surrender to the Father. What he does to the Father, he invites us to do to him. But the second thing I want you to see is this. Remember... John, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of God. What is the will of God according to that last verse? For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What is God's will? Well, God's will is many things, obviously. It's bigger It's bigger than simply looking at the sun. He has a will for every part of our life. But the primary place that we see God's will is when we look at the sun and we believe on him. He is Savior. He is Lord. And according to this passage, we get eternal life and we are raised up on that last day. That's the way that you get in the little book, little book, the single book, instead of in all the big books. I want you to think about that this morning as we take communion. I have one more thing I want to share with you. So in just a moment, I want you to come forward. Dane and Heather are going to serve you communion. And then would you take it back to your seats and just hold it. And then we'll take the elements together in just a few moments. Okay? So would you come forward now and get your communion elements? Thank you, Miss Heather. That was good. We might have to introduce the third stand to make that go a little quicker, you know. I want us to take communion by looking on the Son and believing in Him. Remember early on, and I've mentioned it each week, 
there's a real problem with the American church, with the Western church, separating the savior role of Jesus from his lordship. And those two things have to stay connected. They are, there's no way to pull them apart. He is savior and Lord. He's not just savior. He's savior and Lord. And as we get ready to take, I wanna just give you this one final thought this morning. When Jesus died on the cross, when he offered himself up, remember the scriptures teach us that his life was not taken from him, but rather he laid his life down. He gave himself. When that took place, he gave everything. He didn't hold on to any part of himself. He yielded himself fully and completely. We could say it this way. the, the The sacrifice of Jesus, the salvation that we receive from him cost him everything. But when we received it, it cost us nothing. We don't look to the books for our salvation. We look to the grace of God. We look to what Jesus says. We look, as it says in John 6:40, the will of God that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him would have eternal life and be raised up on the last day. We didn't do anything for that. Absolutely, completely free. Costs us nothing. Think about this. The lordship aspect of Jesus' identity cost him nothing. He is Yahweh. He is God, eternity past, eternity now, eternity future. He has always been the Lord of all. He didn't become the Lord of all. He is the Lord of all. But for us to embrace his lordship, unlike salvation, which cost us nothing, embracing his lordship costs us everything. Jesus doesn't say, come and follow me on your own terms. He says, come, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He says, if you want to find your life, you have to lose it. And when you lose your life, you will find it in me. Salvation is free, but lordship costs everything. And many of us, many Christians, many Christ followers around the world, but especially in the West, have only been told that Jesus will forgive all of their sins. And hallelujah, that is absolutely true. It costs nothing. But the other side of that is Jesus says, come follow me and be ready to give it all. So as we take communion this morning, I want you to let the two sides of his identity, the two sides of that same coin rest in your spirit. And I want you to do some work. I'm assuming most of us have said, yes, Jesus, I want your forgiveness. But many of us probably, and maybe some for the first time, have never said, you're the Lord of all. I surrender unreservedly to what you want. We don't get his lordship on our terms. We get his lordship on his terms. So would you close your eyes right now? We're going to pray together. And if you've never said, Lord, Be the Lord of all in every detail of my life. I surrender fully to you. I want you to pray that this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you right now. We are so grateful for your grace. We're so grateful for your salvation that was entirely free to us. All we need to do is look to the Son and receive. All we need to do was believe on him that that you sent, Father. We're so grateful for that. Your kindness is shown to us and that you lead us to repentance through, that, through this act of his sacrifice. And Lord, we do what this word instructs. We remember this morning the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. We remember this morning what you did for us and we are so thankful that we are clean, that we are forgiven, that we are washed, that we are made new, that we are, we are forgiven of everything, Lord, past, present, and future. We stand before you holy 
and righteous because of the shed blood of Jesus, what we sang about earlier. And yet this morning also, Lord, we say freshly today, Jesus, you're the Lord. You are the Lord of all. And we surrender by an act of our will, by this this moment in time, we say, Lord, we surrender everything to you. Lord, we cannot and will not hold anything back from you. No secret sin, no private grudge, no, no petty selfishness, no unkind word. We will not hold anything back. We say, Lord, you're the Lord of all. May you, may you make your lordship manifest in every detail, every crevice, every corner, every thought, every motive, every part of our lives today. We surrender in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Make your people whole. Amen. Would you take your communion elements at this time? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And would you stand with me when you're finished? Church family, as we've been doing during this series, the altars are going to be open. There'll be people here to support you in prayer. But if this morning you're wrestling with lordship, maybe like you never have thought of it this way before and you need to come and have some time with God, this room will be quiet. We're asking everybody just to, to file out, go to the hallway and the foyer, hang out as long as you want. But let's create a space in here where people can, can spend time with Jesus at the altar and not, not be disrupted. If you want to come, there'll be folks here to stand with you, to pray with you, to love you this morning. Would you extend your hands before you? I want to bless you in the name of Jesus before you go. We just sang this. Grace family, friends, visitors, those online, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, receive this blessing. Amen. We trust that this message made a difference in your life. If you would like more information about Grace Church, be sure to connect with us by visiting grace417.com or connect with us by filling out a connection card on our app.